any day now. I I was getting ready. You know, you gotta gotta you gotta be ready to speak, my mm. yes. Welcome back to the Missions Uncovered podcast with me, Dominic, and your other hosts, Nee and Michael. We need your help to grow this podcast. If you go to bit.ly slash aupodapple or you look up Admissions Uncovered in the podcast app, you can subscribe and give us a five-star rating. By doing this, you allow new listeners to be able to find the podcast. In this week's episode, we will talk about how to best write your resume and how to show off who you are on a piece of paper. So the first thing that you should think about before you even start writing your resume is who is your audience. So since we're in a college admissions podcast, of course, you would probably be wanting to write a resume to submit to colleges. For colleges, mostly what they want from your resume is a place where you can describe all of your activities in more depth. Because as you know, on the common app section, there's already an activities part where you can kind of list your activities and a general description of about 150 characters about kind of about what the activity is or what you did in that certain activity. But if you're thinking about submitting an additional resume, you want it to have additional information that you can tell your colleges that they can't find elsewhere. So I know most most people, when they tell you to make a resume, they say limit it to one page. But in terms of submitting a resume to colleges, you want to take advantage of using more pages so that you can put all of the activities you've done and kind of elaborate on them but that doesn't mean you should go crazy and have like 10 pages to submit to a college but most colleges will ask for something called an expanded resume which is basically you will list what activities you did and have three to four bullet points detailing exactly what you did in that organization how you contributed to it what leadership positions you hold so it's a lot more specific than your standard resume where you just briefly list a single activity that you did also another type of resume that you could be writing is either for an employer or internship i know Nee, you did a uh, internship application mm-hmm. this past summer to be able to do your internship at the hospital and then you want to describe a little bit about what that was like as well so my resume for the internship was condensed into one page because that was a big thing they're like no employer is going to want to flip to the second page. It'll totally like disregard it. So that was kind of tricky. Mm. But in order to maximize the space, I really only listed what I did in categories and had a very short, a few words explaining what it was, but I didn't really have the chance to explain exactly what I did in it. But that was okay because when you go for interviews, they'll ask you more about what you have on your resume. So you'll have time to explain what you did in each of that, these activities, whereas for a college, you necessarily don't have that um, option. That's why an expanded resume is needed. Yep. In general, this employer internship resume is going to be just a one-page, very focused resume that you know it, it focuses on exactly what you did, but not ex- exactly that expanded resume format where you detail everything, and that's where you're going to be able to talk about it in the interview. And one thing that you want to keep in mind as you're deciding between the things you put on the internship or employer resume is that you want items that will relate to your job description. So if you're applying to a position at a law firm, research-based stuff, more technical-based stuff, more secretarial-based stuff, if you're applying to a position on a nonprofit board or a campaign, then maybe those things are much more community service related. So picking and choosing the activities you put in on your resume based on what you would actually do in the job is something to always keep in mind. Now, one thing that both the employer resume and the college resume are going to share is that you need to format it 
well. Basically, if you go on any template on Microsoft Word, it's going to have a nice format, it's going to have nice color, and it's going to be fine. Now, what people do is squeeze a lot of information, all their information, in little like 10-point font, and the margins are like <laughs> 0.25 inches. Do not do that. Employees will not be pleased because they still have to read your resume. And if it's that small and that ugly, they're not going to like it. So in general, if you use a template from Microsoft Word or whatever the Apple equivalent is, it probably should be fine. But more specifically, you want to make sure that your resume uh, has one-inch margins on all sides, has font that's either 11 to 12-point font, not too big, not too little, but also that you're not using any wacky colors. Some color can be good. Mm -hmm. Black and white is best. Just don't go putting your resume on yellow paper mm -hmm. with <laughs> green font. Uh, that's ugly for any reason, not just the resume. So that was how you format the resume. Uh, but what are the parts of the resume? What sections do we want in that resume? Yeah, now that we've kind of set up your you know, your resume paper, you know who you're going to be talking to, and you've already got your format done, now we need to actually figure out what we're going to put on the resume. Uh, first off, you definitely want to include your education, you know, why, why you're qualified for the position. Uh, it's going to be a little different depending on whether it's for you know, college like most of us or for an internship during the summer or maybe after college when you're looking for a job or maybe just a part-time job during school. But in general, you're going to want your educational history. So, you know, your high school, if you're applying for college and then definitely any community college credit you have or side courses you've taken or certifications that you've done or possibly college classes. And then your GPA from there, your graduating rank, if your school ranks, uh, the years or possibly months when you uh, we're at that school and then also any degrees, whether it be associate or master's or bachelor's that you have from that school. One thing I'll throw in right here is that if you have a lot of certifications, you might want to put that in a separate category called skills or certifications if you have a lot. And in addition, just as we're generally moving through these individual parts, if you have a LinkedIn, your LinkedIn provides actually a very good template for what a resume should be and what it should have. So that's one resource you can always look to. But what else? What are the other parts mm -hmm. we want to have? So besides listing your education, you should also list your awards. So this can be anything from awards that you have from clubs within schools, competitive academic competitions, or anything you have from extracurriculars. And also definitely academic awards that you get from how you perform in school. So if you're like an AP scholar or like for colleges or like a national merit scholar, you should be sure to put this. And one thing that you should make sure that you highlight is the kind of the magnitude of the importance of your award. So if it's like an international competition, make sure you highlight that, that you beat, that you were first place amongst thousands of people in like a physics competition. Or if it's, even if it's a smaller award, you can still say, that you were selected based on these certain criteria, these certain things that allowed you to get this award. Just make sure that you really emphasize how important this award is and make sure you highlight something um, about yourself to colleges through these awards. Absolutely. The next section that you should have are extracurricular activities. And so we'll talk more specifically later on about how to describe them and what your bullet points should look like. But in general, your activities need to have what organization it's part of, the location you did them, dates, your leadership position, and a brief description of your accomplishments in the organization. And that should be 
the name, title, and dates of when you did them, that should be up top, above the more detailed description and bullet points of what you did. Now, one common theme you might notice through our discussion about the parts of a resume from the honors to the activities and what Dominic and me are going to talk about later is that these are things that you might already have on your Common App if this is a resume for college admissions. And so you might be wondering, well, am I going to repeat stuff? And my take on it is that you are going to repeat stuff and you should repeat stuff because with an expanded resume, you have more space to describe each activity. On the Common App, you had 150 characters. <laughs> on this expanded resume, you have a lot more space to bullet point things out and to list out more accomplishments and more things you did. So don't be afraid to repeat. Just make sure that you are adding details in this expanded resume. In addition, I think that you can think about the Common App as the summary of this expanded resume. All the important stuff from the expanded resume are found on the Common App, but if they're interested in more details and the other things you did, they look to your larger expanded resume. And then very similar to the activities, uh, you also can distinguish community service apart from just the activities that you participated in. Here, you're going to be talking about a lot of similar things to an activity that you were discussing, what organization, kind of what you did with it, um, also including your involvement with it, either number of hours or for how long, and then any positions that you had in it, whether you were just a member or you actually were leading a team to be able to do something or you came up with it. Well, kind of similar to community service, you should also have a separate section that details your work experience. And this is crucial, of course, if you're um, submitting a resume to employers, but also for colleges. So this is where you can put um, a job that you've held during school working at a fast food at, at a fast food restaurant or in a summer internship in my case that that um, I took part in and like the community service you should um, list the name of the organization how long you did this specific job or internship and then also most importantly what you did at your job specifically what were you in charge of what were you tasked with so that can really highlight. I think in this section, your leadership qualities and your ability to kind of work apart from your academics. One thing that also might be helpful to put in the work experience section is who you are reporting to. So if it's impressive, that is, you know, like if you're reporting to a paralegal at a law firm, maybe like you don't need to put that in. But if you're reporting to like the managing partner of a law firm or you're reporting to a, the judge of a courthouse, then definitely put that in if that's something that you feel would increase the amount of weight a college would put to that experience. The final part of the resume we want to mention is the miscellaneous stuff. The one thing that came to mind when I added this to our pre-show outline was my debate resume. So I did a lot of debate. I went to a lot of debate tournaments, and I really didn't want to let all the wins I had and all the victories I had at smaller debate tournaments just to go unreported because I did a lot of them. I spent a lot of time on them, so I wanted to take advantage. Well, the expanded resume gave me an opportunity to do that. So the last page of my expanded resume that I gave to colleges, I listed out every single tournament I went to and every single win, award, or trophy that I got. And it's very excessive. It's very long. And I doubt the colleges looked at each one and Googled each activity, but they saw the sheer mass of debate tournaments I went to, and I think that added some weight to the debate as an activity on my resume. And so debate is also a very tricky thing with a lot of intricate features. Those were also described there. So like number of people who went to the tournament, the place I got in the tournament, any additional awards I got from the tournament. So that's another place where you can ex explicate out your activities if they're very 
detailed and nuanced. Other things I think you can put in this miscellaneous section, if you're a sports athlete or you do other types of competitions fairly regularly, mock trial, Skills USA, all those types of things, you might go to a lot of tournaments that you can have a tournament record with. Uh, if you read a lot, uh, maybe you put in a list of the books you've read. You know, this type of miscellaneous section is really for you to list out anything else that you weren't able to put mm-hmm. in other sections of your resume. I would also like to add that here you can kind of put like the languages you speak or maybe I know on a lot of my resumes, like the computer skills you have, if you're able to code or something like that, or just, I guess, like the little, the the other skills that you have that aren't really reflected on there that you want colleges and people to know that you also have. It's important to note that a lot of what we just mentioned, though, is tailored toward the college expanded resume where there's no limit on space. For employers, the general limit is a one-page resume. And so you probably don't want to be listing out every single debate tournament or every single book you read or every single language you know. You want to be focused on that one-page employer resume. Uh, as for languages, uh, there might be a section you want to add that's just like general general skills. So I mentioned earlier after Dominic's point, if you have certifications, you put that there. If you know languages, you put that there. Another thing I'll add particularly to languages is that if you don't know the language, if you don't actually know the <laughs> language, you should not put that on the resume. Not even if you put conversational because they're going to, you never know, they're you might get an interviewer and they're like, oh, so you speak um, Spanish? You, I mean, you have in your resume and they start speaking to you in Spanish and you're just like, um, yeah, yeah. that's slow. Nope. Or even if you don't do that, they're going to expect you to be able to do that on the job. Yeah. And then you're probably even worse off if you didn't get the job and then get fired because you can't actually do what they hired you for. <laughs> and they're going to be without a job and a terrible job reference. So... Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the general thing. Do not lie. Tell the truth. It should be easy, but apparently it is not. And, you know, colleges might co- not call you out on not knowing the language because they might have an interviewer that hasn't seen your resume if your interviewer doesn't explicitly ask for one. But still, just general rule. Lying is bad. Don't lie. But I guess that leads me into a quick thing about the uses of this resume. Because even if you your colleges don't request one... Oftentimes, interviewers will, or you might want to proactively provide your interviewer one. I remember my Vanderbilt interviewer didn't ask me for one up front, but when we had the conversation afterwards, she was like, uh, can you send me a resume so I can write a good rec letter? And, you know, to me, I don't know why she would need that because I gave her some information in the interview if she was paying attention. But if she asked for one, I had one ready to <laughs> Salty. <send her. clears throat> wow. I got in, so it's fine. But I was a little confused. It's like, was the things I talked about in our interview, not sufficient for you? Mm. Probably. Mm. You know. Dang. But, you know, I mean, can you guys think of other uses for the resume? Have you given your resume to teachers for teacher rec letters? Yeah. Uh, Yes. So for me, uh, one of my teachers specifically requested it. And then I also just provided to the other teacher that, funny enough, asked for more stuff in advance, but not specifically a resume. Uh, But I did supply that just as you know, something else for them to be able to reference. But you don't want them just obviously copying your resume. You want them to have things that are connected to you. But sometimes that resume is a good way to kind of link back what they're saying and tie it into mm-hmm. something. That and you've it can done. kind of give them an overall picture of what you're involved in based off the activities you have on your resume and like kind of your skills so that, of course, like teachers don't know every single aspect of your life. So this will kind of give them a snapshot of that. 
For the teachers, I highly recommend not giving them your full expanded resume because then they get overwhelmed and confused. So I remember sending my counselor my full resume and when he got like the six page document, he was like, oh, whoa, hang on, wait a minute. (laughs) And he literally exclaimed that to me as he opened it because I was still in the room. So I realized that, okay, maybe I don't want to overwhelm them with everything because you want them to know what you want them to write about. And if you give them everything, they have no selection. You have no control. They'll select for you. And so if you give them an already selected out, chosen, hyper-focused one-page resume, they know what you want them to write about. They know what are the things they should be thinking about and they should be looking at, which will help you control the course of your rec letter instead of just like leaving it up Mm -hmm. to a random teacher. And sometimes I might not even give them a resume. I just might give them what we mentioned earlier, a brag sheet just highlighting the specific things you want them to talk about. It might not even be the things traditionally found on a resume. It might not even be, you know, president of debate team, president of massive chapter of Boy Scouts or whatever. It might be, remember that time when we discussed race relations in America and how I was like such a great contributor or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. You know, it might not be activities you want the teacher to be talking about. So your resume, quote unquote, that you give to teachers should, I think, look a little bit different Mm -hmm. than the resume you're handing to colleges and employers. Well, real quick along the line of not giving them everything, keep in mind, like, I think we haven't really touched on this as much is that you've always heard people saying like, oh, don't do this stuff just to pad your resume. So like when you're actually making your resume, don't put something that you did for like an hour once in sophomore year. This activity that you went to an interest meeting for and never actually went through with it. Because colleges never want to see that stuff. They can see right through that, which is also why they want you to put the number of hours you did it per week and what you actually did within the that certain activity so they know that you actually did it and committed to doing it so don't for one thing don't pad your resume and when you make your resume don't put obscure things on there so that really leads us pretty well into thinking specifically about how to describe your activities and the kind of bullet point things that you need so as i mentioned earlier you always want to list the name the of an organization your title and, and the amount of time you did it for as the top thing. That should be bolded, that should be above all the bullet points. Now, one question that I know a lot of people have asked me and that I've asked myself when I was doing this resume is, what should I do for the hours? Because I don't really time track and keep track of all my hours. <laughs> now, what I'll say to that is maybe you should time track because that can be With very useful. With that calendar as we thing? Talked about. What is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Map out every like five minutes of your life because you're so obsessive. Well, not every five minutes, but every, you know, like hour and make sure okay. you know what you're doing with your life. Some people don't think it's good, but I think you should try it. I think it's pretty cool. But if you don't do that, like I didn't do in high school, then you're kind of in a weird place because you don't really know the specific number of hours you did something most of the time. <laughs> so what I recommend is just a ballpark estimate of the types of things. And of course, it can help to, you know, the think higher... through these types of issues. <laughs> Higher estimate, a higher ballpark estimate, the higher end of it. Yeah, you should get the higher end of the ballpark estimate. You know, I have some people who are like, oh, well, you know, like I spend 20 hours doing debate most weeks, but one week I only spent two hours doing debate, so I'm going to put down five. And (laughs) it's a very dumb idea. And, you know, sometimes it helps to have another person kind of egg you on to make sure that you're not being a little bit too passive, uh, which is Mm -hmm. what I've tried to do with some of the students who've asked me 
uh, for help about their hour, help what to put for hours, but always do the higher estimate of it. Now, what I will say is that you should think about the context that you're putting these numbers in, because if you add up all the hours you're doing things per week and it is above the number of hours that are in a week, <laughs> then yeah. there are some issues. Mm-hmm. I was doing this for my Common App because this does tie in a lot with the time tracking for the Common App. Exactly. And I believe it's like 168 hours in a week. Mm -hmm. And then for the math I did, I figured about 100 of those hours were between, you know, school, sleep, and traveling. So if that number where you add up all your activities for a week is, you know, 70 or upwards, uh, I would say probably (laughs) relook at that. These. Yeah. And, you know, this is going a little into the Common App, but these schools are going to be looking at those numbers and. A one-hour difference or two-hour difference is not going to be a big thing, but if you have 20 hours for yeah. know, five different activities a week, they're going to look at that and their entire interpretation of the, your hour tracking and how much you've done is going to be that you're exaggerating. And then also your application overall. And, yeah, and they'll just have a negative view on your application, whereas if you made it a reasonable amount of hours, even if that is a higher end, just make sure it's a reasonable amount to where they'll be taking it as a positive thing where you're super engaged and not Mm -hmm. to where you're exaggerating your whole application. And just keep in mind that you're not just giving them the number of hours you spent doing an activity. You're also giving them what you did for that activity. So if you only have one thing you did for the activity in the description box, like attended meetings, and the number of hours you put for that is 20 hours a week, then it doesn't make that much sense because you only have one thing you did and you're spending 20 hours a week on that. So, you know, as you're exaggerating, just remember, (laughs) be reasonable about it because if I can look at it and say that your Common App and your expanded resume is BS, as I've done before for people who've shown me their resumes and their Common Apps, then admissions officers definitely can. Mm -hmm. That's just like the top level, what you should be doing for your hours. The question that I get a lot walking students through this process is what should I do for the bullet points that kind of describe the activity? So, Ni, you just did your resume. What did you find out about that question? So a very important thing that you should keep in mind is you should take advantage of using action verbs to describe all the things you did. So... Don't be like, I blah, 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 be like, held meetings, hosted um, fundraisers, organized this. Very strong action verbs. And I actually found out um, UT Austin actually posted a sample of an expanded resume a few years back. And at the very end of that sample, they had two pages worth of columns of action verbs that you can use within your resume. So I found that kind of neat. And you can take some of those action verbs and use it within your resume. Um, And then also, you don't want to be too lengthy using full sentences when you're describing these bullet points. It's a lot about quantitative data also. If you did something, put numbers like how many people you helped or like they said, like the number of hours or you packed, I don't know, 100 boxes or something like that. So very concrete, straight to the point bullet points. Yep, and I will try to get that document that he was talking about and have that in the show notes for the podcast on the admissions and covered website so that you can also use that while writing your resumes. Now that you've started thinking about how you want to write this description, you might want to go on, but you have to remember that these colleges have to review a lot of applications. And if you're applying for a job or an internship, they're only going to want one page. You really have to narrow down these descriptions. I like the common app as an example for this because they ask you to take 
an activity you've done for four years and maybe 20 hours per week and throw it into a 100 character description. And while doing that, I found it very hard to be able to narrow down everything that you've done and all your awards and all that into 100 characters. But it really helps you think about what's important about that activity and what you want to highlight. So obviously, it doesn't have to just be 100 characters for the resume. You can expand it a little bit. But I think that is a great place to start about thinking how you want to narrow down this description. Uh, you don't need a ton of these details, just kind of like the overall idea of what you've done. And then if, you ha if you're doing an expanded resume version, then you're able to actually describe what you were doing for those different activities. And Michael, do you want to uh, give a couple examples of some of these descriptions? Yeah, so what I think is really important to understand is that the Comet app is the most focused version of the resume. This expanded resume, you can do more with, add more details, but you shouldn't have every single detail. So one thing that I did for to describe my internship with Battleground Texas this summer. Battleground Texas is a political organization that does voter registration. And so we had weekly calls with the team. And for clubs, you might say that you have weekly meetings. Well, in the resume, I didn't say attended weekly meetings because every single person who has an internship or a job or a club attends weekly meetings. So that is a detail that does not provide any additional color or information to your application. But using action words, describing the task, and including numbers for the results really does. So with Battleground Texas, we do a lot of work doing voter registration work. And when we do voter registration, we want to make sure we're doing it in the right places. We're doing it in places, precincts, locations, neighborhoods that have low amount of people who are registered to vote, but also have a high propensity to vote Democratic, since we are a PAC that likes Democrats, that supports statewide Democratic candidates. And so we had to do, I was tasked at least with doing a lot of data analysis to find those specific areas. So here is the example of two of the bullet points I put under Battleground Texas. One bullet point, compiled 2010 census data and 2016 election results and voter registration data to manage a 12,000 cell Excel sheet, number two, or the second bullet point. Analyzed precinct level data in Dallas County to find target regions for voter registration and wrote a final report that was distributed to the Dallas office and headquarters. So I guess the first thing is, Nee and Dominic, what do you think about those two bullet points to describe my work with Battleground? Well, first of all, as I mentioned before, it has a lot of, it has numbers and like quantitative data. So like what you said with the 12,000 cell Excel sheet, like 12,000 is a lot. So that paints like the magnitude of the importance of what you did there. So I think that was a very good way to put what you did. Yeah, the Excel sheet almost crashed my computer at times. It was really <laughs> bad. It was really bad. Yeah. And then going off of the uh, magnitude comment, it also shows kind of where your project went. So not only what you did, but also you, what you did with the project and who saw it and how much of an effect it had on the activity that you were participating in. And then, yeah, that's a that's a really good thing to point out, right? Because I think what it happens a lot is that we just talk about what we did, but it also matters what the impact that the thing has. So make sure that when you're writing these bullet points, not just to write the action verb and the task, but also to describe the final end result. Mm -hmm. And then also one last thing, as I mentioned before, you use action verbs like compiled and analyzed. So they were very concise statements that didn't drag on too long, but also it said what you wanted it to say. So notice that these two bullet points kind of talk about the same thing, right? Data analysis. But I chose to split it up into two different points because if I did it in a single bullet point, 
it would be four lines long. And that's a really long sentence. So sometimes people will just read the first part of it and be like, all right, I kind of get the gist of it and totally ignore the stuff about analyzing precinct level data to find target regions and wrote a report that was sent to Dallas office and to headquarters, right? So in general, and I think this is the case for college essays too, make sure that your sentences are not very, very long. I know that we're taught in elementary school to use our commas and our conjunctions. Complex sentences. Complex sentences. In reality, that is a very bad way to write in most circumstances, because when you have very, very long sentences, I either get lost, confused, or bored, and I stop reading. And so concision and short sentences is good. And you might have a lot to say, like, I did not cut down the words I used. I just split it up so it looks like I have more bullet points and so it's more readable as well. So even if you have multiple things, keep in mind that you want each bullet point to be a bullet point, not to be so long. So one last thing besides having good descriptions and things to describe your activities, you also want to organize it in a way that makes sense. So usually people will say, in chrono- chronological order, but the most recent things at the very beginning. So you would want to list extracurricular activities that you've been doing junior and senior year before your freshman and sophomore year, because they're more relevant to your interests now and what you want to do. And then also, if you're someone that maybe doesn't have a whole lot of awards, maybe you don't want that to be the very first section on your resume. Maybe it's you're very dedicated to community service and you have a lot of activities that deal with um, serving the community. So you might want to have that section towards the top of your resume. And it kind of goes with you want to highlight what's most important to you. So those sections should be at the top where they're focused and because, you know, they can these admissions officers are human. They sometimes when they get to the end, they'll kind of like skim it and not view it with the same mindset that they had when they started. So you got to make sure you put your best foot forth. All right. So that's all we had on the resume. Uh, but now we have a special, special surprise. Special segment. A little a little Easter egg for longtime listeners who have stuck along this long in the episode. So as people might remember if they listened to previous episode, Dominic has had a little bit of pushback from the counselors and teachers at a school about how many IVs and how many top level schools he put on his list. So I think Dominic has a little update for us about how his saga is going. Yeah. So Michael asked me to include this at the end of the episode. And although it's not over, so we'll have a little bit more to come in the future. There's more juicy um, tea. Don't worry. Yeah. And then I also want to preface it with, you know, my list is not even, I, I know that it's long, but it's not even as, as long as Michael's was. Hey, you Michael can't use Michael's as a frame of reference. Why not? No. Michael applied to 21 idea. schools and every Ivy except You see Dominic. what I have to deal with, guys? These anyway, two. Any, anyway. <gasps> what? Nope. Anyway, uh, I was talking to one of my recommenders about it, <laughs> and they had a great recommendation to kind of look at the schools that I actually wanted to apply to. Um, instead of, you know, just kind of being told that the list is crazy, this lovely teacher actually went through and was, you know, helped me group schools and see what was similar between them, and then also recommended that I look at the price for each of the schools. Um I had done the FAFSA before this, so I already had an idea of what the FAFSA thought I would be able to pay. Uh, but then my teacher recommended looking at the net price calculators for each of the schools. Oh, okay. And then that's where that came from. Come to find out, yeah, come to find out that some schools think I can pay like seven times my FAFSA 
Uh, Do you want to name some names here? Uh, maybe later. <laughs> we'll, keep it, we'll keep it now. I gotta. We'll see if I take it off the list first, and then after that, then we can. You need to take that uh, one off the list. We'll talk you about do. it. But this is this. It kind of goes to show that I would definitely recommend doing net price calculators for schools that aren't guaranteed to meet a certain amount of mm-hmm. uh, money under certain income brackets. And then also, if you do have a longer list and you're looking at which schools you think you should take off or somebody's suggesting that you reduce your size in order to have enough time. Uh, that was also another thing the teacher recommended, you know, just looking at how much time it would actually take to do the applications and making sure that I would be uh, putting my best effort forward on each of them. Uh, but a great way to kind of take off schools are ones that you won't be able to pay for anyway. Obviously, there are scholarships and there's ways that you can figure out how to pay for it. But if a school is just absurd with its price um, and it has a historic record from talking to counselors and teachers about it, uh, being you know pretty true to its net price calculator, it's probably a good school to kind of take off the list. Because if you get accepted in that school and you spent all the money applying and sending test scores and the CSS profile and all that, if you can't pay for the school anyway, it was just a wasted effort in the beginning paying the money, but also the time commitment that you spent writing those supplements and the extra time sending all those test scores and all that. Instead of putting that time towards an application that you could actually go to the school. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit earlier about how when you're making this list, you shouldn't think about finances. I take that back a little. I think that comment was mainly targeted toward very, very, very low income students who sometimes say there's just like no way they can afford IV so they won't even apply. That's not true. If you are very, very, very low income, like under 60K family income a year, you are guaranteed full rides tuition plus housing to, I'm hesitant to say all, but I'm pretty sure all Ivy League schools. And so it's it's difficult, right? If you're a middle-class you know, family, if, if you're not super, super poor, if you don't are not under that type of threshold. So it's a difficult thing to think about there. The other thing I'll say is that one tip I have for how to think about the list is also to prioritize schools. So instead of getting rid of schools from the list, putting them to the bottom. Because I remember what happened for me is that I finished basically all my stuff around December 27th. Like all the schools I really wanted to apply to, all of that was done. And so between the 27th and January 1st, January 5th, January 15th, all I was doing was, you know, checking some of the stuff before the deadlines for the ones I really cared about, but also writing new applications, kind of throwaway applications to schools that I didn't really care about. But, you know, I was like, yeah, all right, sure. Like, I'd be okay applying to school. So, for example, like, <laughs> that's what happened with Duke. On January 1st, I was like, oh, I have two more sections left. Let's throw an application to Duke and we'll mess around with the supplements for maybe like an hour or something. So instead of just taking it off your list completely... Just saying that's a very low priority one that we'll get to if we get to it. Yep. I definitely like prioritizing the schools just in general. Uh, but if you know you have some that you would really like to apply to and then some that you're not really sure about or they, you know, the money might be an inhibiting factor, uh, you can still submit those applications, but don't let that take up time for the other ones. But definitely if you have time left, don't just waste it because you're going to have so much time second semester anyway. Right, Michael? Mm-hmm. Yes, there is light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> And, you know, that's what a soft calendar can do. It can keep you on track to make sure you're hitting all the essays for the good ones. Now, Dominic, you did your soft calendar, didn't you? I did. Um, I don't know if we talked about this last episode. We did. But I kind of went through and put in the, you know, the deadlines that I have for this next month and, you know, a couple days after that. But also, 
blocking off days, not specifically hours of the day, because I have a lot of extracurricular meetings and phone calls mm-hmm. that come up. So blocking it by the hour, I, f- I think that if I did that, sometimes I'd have a call come up and I just blow off that hour. So what I would do is just kind of block off the day with a couple tasks that I needed to get done. Uh, for example, working on a certain scholarship or working on this supplement or working on the common app activity section. And I think that that has really helped keep me on track and guided in completing my things definitely way ahead of the deadline and making sure that I put in my best effort for the application. Will you put that in the show notes? Uh, maybe, (laughs) maybe. So you have to go to the show notes to see whether he did or not drama and suspense with the admissions and covered podcast. Uh, one last thing I'd like to ask from the audience before we close this out is this episode and the previous one have been a little bit shorter than what we've been known to do. Um, just kind of from rambling on in previous episodes, but I feel like these are a little to the point. Uh, some feedback we'd like is either in the comment section below here, or you can reach us through an email if you're listening on a mobile device. The email is admissions.uncovered at gmail.com. Yep, just let us know what you think about the episode links and what you'd like them to be. Obviously, we're doing this for the audience and not ourselves. So let us know what you would like, and we'll be able to cater the episode links to that. As well as any topics you'd like us to discuss, we can always make an episode on that. And so another way you can contact us is through our social media channels, at AUPODFM on Twitter and at admissions.uncovered on Facebook and Instagram. Any one of those, uh, you throw us a tweet or an email or a contact us a link, we'll respond to you. Yeah, Instagram gets a little boring only trolling the self-promoters on our posts. <laughs> so we definitely love replying to some of the DMs. Yeah. I will say they do not uh, come back yeah. after we... Dami did a good job of getting rid of them. Know. It's like a yeah. one and it's done fun. fun. Yeah. That's why you follow our Instagram page, not for our pictures, but for all the funny responses we do <laughs> to randos. Yeah. <clears throat> With that, thank you so much for listening. Um, again, if you'd like to help us grow the podcast, bit.ly slash AUPodApple or the podcast app on your phone. Uh, there you can subscribe and give us a five-star rating, and that allows new listeners to be able to find our podcast and join in with the Emissions Uncovered uh, brand. And as always, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels. We are at AUPodFM on Twitter and at Emissions.Uncovered on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, these are always on the website as well. And make sure that you are staying on top of your deadlines and good luck in the college application season. All right. That was good. That was terrible. (laughs) No, I thought that was all right. All right.